When it comes to investing, retirement, taxes, healthcare, and estate planning, the decisions you make today can greatly affect the quality of life for you and your loved ones tomorrow. What you need is straight and unbiased information on the most important issues you'll face when planning for your retirement and financial future. Good news. You found Premier Retirement Radio with Jeff Fogan. Jeff is the founder of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management, and he's been guiding people financially and into retirement for 30 years. So get ready for an hour of the most comprehensive financial information on the radio. Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogan. And now here's Jeff Vogan and Jeff Shade. Thank you so much. Welcome to Premier Retirement with Jeff Vogel on the radio show that gives you the straight talk and honest answers you need to help you reach your wealth management and retirement goals through smart investing and careful planning. My name's Jeff Jade, and as always, I'm just here to ask the questions. But of course, the words of wisdom and solid advice come from Jeff Vogel, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Jeff, how are you doing this morning? Uh, doing great. Uh, always fun to be here with you and with the listeners and just talk about money and stuff. So yeah. uh, just happy to get it going. <laughs> Jeff, this is what I call the appetizer to the holiday season because, of course, Halloween is just around the corner. Then comes Thanksgiving and Christmas. Before you know it, it's going to be 2024. Well, in Wisconsin, the fourth quarter, just uh, about eight weeks or so till the end of the year. So, Jeff, let's get started with what's going on in current events. I understand that you have seen some factors that indicate that a recession is coming along. Now, this is confusing because one week we hear that there's not going to be a recession. Another week, it's going to be a soft landing. And another week, the recession is just around the corner. So what are these factors that you're seeing that indicate that a recession is more than likely? Well, that could be a huge, long answer. I mean, the Fed's tipping us off saying, hey, look, you know, inflation still isn't under control. We still are going to have to raise interest rates. We're already seeing how interest rates are killing corporate America with earnings. Uh, The cost of uh, buying stuff has gone up. Many companies are not putting money into expansions, buildings, infrastructure, even R&D, because the money to do so costs too much to get. Now, some companies have already borrowed at low rates and, you know, they're burning through that at a pretty good clip, but they're still staying maybe ahead of the game a little bit. But uh, by and large, the higher interest rates are a big, big factor. It's funny how Janet Yellen, who was actually the Fed chair of what back in the 08 crash, I believe, the closest she got to ever predicting recession or market correction or anything close to what happened was, well, we might have a mild recession, in it, but it would be a soft landing. Well, obviously, she was wrong. Maybe it's because the government and Fed doesn't want to be the ones, you know, yelling fire in the theater because of the stampede that would happen if they gave that kind of an indication. I think Powell's been honest with, hey, I'm going to raise, inter- uh, raise interest rates, but he hasn't said, hey, it's probably going to cause a hard landing. You know, he won't probably have that come out of his mouth. There's people like Jamie Dimon, J.P. Morgan CEO, uh, and other people that uh, think there's going to be a hard landing. You know, Ray Dalio, uh, Drucker, um, you know, these guys are all understanding what uh, you know credit cycles and interest rate cycles and market cycles do and they always repeat and they always complete and I've said that for the last several months now I wasn't born to wait for anything so this is driving me crazy I want this thing to complete so we can get back in the market and ride it up and enjoy the next bull market I just think it's gonna be a while because there's so many different things that are really pointing to uh, bad things ahead you know nobody's really downplayed it other than the news because they want to cheerlead the market let me just name a few things rising interest rates being one of them. Inflation is still at unsustainable levels, still in the three and a half range. They want to get it to two. Higher consumer and business costs mean less purchases, means less profits, means less earnings, means more pressure on companies. You know, what's, what's happened has already happened. I mean, there's a lot of things that are costing, you know, 20 and 30% more than they did when 
Biden took office, when Bidenomics came into uh, fruition. And boy, isn't it doing a great job. It is of ruining America. But mm -hmm. uh, bottom line is um, what, what has already happened is still going to impact earnings, profitability, growth, and people's pocketbooks and ability to buy things and sustain their own lifestyles forever. For, I mean, for years to come. And because even though, you know, one of these Bidenomic uh, things is, well, look, uh, you know, average wage is up, what, 3% when inflation's up 25% so far? I mean, that's a, a big net difference of buying power. Uh, so, you know, the inflation is still at unsustainable levels. The only way to get it down, according to Powell, is to raise interest rates a little bit more. There's a meeting in uh, November. We'll see if that happens in a few weeks. And they factored in something like a 96% chance. The market seems to think there's a 96% chance that the Fed will leave rates alone. And they might go into the end of the year. There's always kind of a window dressing period of time when they like to, you know, not uh, rock the boat too bad during the holidays. But I don't think these economic factors are going to just move out of the way for, you know, one interest rate pause. I mean, we just saw 10-year treasury, you know, last week go up to uh, 5%. You know, that's, that's a high rate that we haven't seen in a long time. Is that you know a rate where we can't exist? No, but we there's a lot of adjustment that needs to happen before we get to where five percent is meaningful to savers and not hurtful to corporate America and uh, people that want to buy stuff. I mean, here's another one: consumer debt being well over a trillion dollars. We talked about that recently, and the defaults are at an all-time high. You know what else is at an all-time high based on a uh, report I just read three or four days ago? Car loans, yeah, highest default rate ever. Nobody's mm -hmm. buying their car. I mean, talk about the repos. You're right. going to be able to get a really good deal on cars if the repo man gets out there and does his job. Or we're just going to see, you know, all these car dealers and a lot of companies that are losing money, uh, banks losing money. That's debt that they have to write off in many cases. All they do is get the car back and they get to sell it at a, at a loss. And uh, that's going to, you know, filter through the banking and any lending institution. So I think financials are going to probably take a big hit. We've got uh, corporate earnings still falling. And I think it's really interesting how just as, I mean, we're in earnings season. Everybody's going to start reporting. You know, we just, you know, heard a lot of big tech companies and a lot of big solid, uh, you know, some of the Magnificent Seven reported this last week. And the funny thing is, is a lot of these companies are in fact still growing. There are some that just can't not grow. I mean, Google included, but companies like Apple are actually, their earnings are reducing. During earnings season, it's interesting that about 80% of companies report higher than expected earnings. And so the market loves this. They go, oh my gosh, better than expected earnings. That's awesome. They're doing better than we thought. But they already revised the earnings down. We've talked about this. We had one company that's going to report in a few weeks um, that they're revising their earnings down by about 15%. And I would just bet that when they actually report, they're going to come in a little higher than expected. So they'll try to give their stock a little boost. You know, maybe it's because, you know, they, they give this huge drop in guidance as far as what they expect their earnings to be. So everybody will sell the stock. Maybe it's them that want to buy it. And then they're going to say, oh, well, it really isn't that bad. Wall Street is a manipulation game and they manipulate us to the best of their ability. You know, there's times when they buy and we uh, get talked into selling. There's times when we get talked into holding on because it's just going to be a soft landing. There's really not going to be a recession and all these other things. Yeah, we find out that the uh, corporate America is actually selling. They own less stock than the consumer does now. It's up to 57%. And I believe that's an all-time ever high. It's rarely over 50%. Typically, institutions own all the stock. Why are they all selling? Yeah, they're just selling. Oh, everything's good. Everything's hunky-dory. Look at all these earnings. They're always better than expected. Shouldn't you buy, 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 buy? But it's just really trickery to make us think that the market is a little healthier than it is. Now, I'm not saying the market is, I mean, a bad place to make money. It's not. I mean, you can make a lot of money over the long term. I just don't think it's going to be there over the next few years because there's too many factors that are pointing to not good signs ahead. Now, GDP has been growing at about 2%. I think it's coming in a little bit higher lately. But, you know, when our economy is really healthy and robust, it's around 6 or 7% growth. So the growth is not anywhere where it needs to be. Inflation is higher. You know, we've got this dual mandate, which is really 
out of the range of what should happen with the Fed. The dual mandate is price stability, yet the Congress, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, they were grilling Jerome Powell and talking about, well, we need to keep employment high. You can't raise prices. Okay, so you have to raise interest rates because you want price stability. You want the inflation to come back down, but you better not do this and make it lose people's jobs. I'm sorry, recession is what happens. People lose jobs when things just get too pricey and corporations can't afford to um, hire the people. They, they have big, massive layoffs. And we've already seen that happen with, you know, Amazon and Meta, and which is Facebook, and a lot of other big companies. And that's how they've been sustaining at least some, uh, I guess, impression that there's uh, reasonably good earnings or more earnings. Well, it's because they've fired a bunch of their employees. They've all gone out and got uh, jobs that pay a lot less. So it looks like we've got full employment. But we really don't. Bottom line is a dual mandate is really impossible to create if we want to correct the problems that exist. In fact, Paul Volcker recently, uh, uh, he was the Fed chair back in, um, he said this, I believe in 2013, back when they were starting to do quantitative easing and things like that. He said, price stability and full employment. I find that mandate both operationally confusing and ultimately illusory. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, how, how can you do that? We've tried to make this modern monetary theory that we can just print money anytime and it's not going to have a consequence. Well, that's illusory. It's not going to happen. Things happen and reality eventually sets in. Well, why do interest rates matter? Interest rates are the only way to get inflation under control, but they matter because interest rates are the heart and soul and the life of the free market system. They're the cost of money. I mean, when costs go up, earnings go down. Real incomes go down. We're in a totally different investment environment than anything that I can remember seeing since I've been in this business. To some uh, experts, they're looking back, and we haven't seen this type of situation for more than 40 years back when there was stagflation based on the uh, Carter economic plan, which uh, ended in stagflation what we call that Carteronomics or something. Right, I mean, right. We're gonna call, if we can name it Bidenomics, which is right. how can we ruin America? Let's call it Carteronomics. <laughs> so, you know, right now, just seven stocks are driving the entire year-to-date performance of the S&P 500. The entire, that means 493 stocks are break-even and most of those stocks are going down. That's crazy. 7%. That's because of market cap weighting. It's because of the, the games that they play with indexes. Nobody in the smart money meaning banks, institutions, and people that, economists that actually know what this stuff is like. All of them say that a market melt, meltdown really can't be ruled out and that we should remain defensive. So I, I think remaining defensive right now uh, makes sense. Just want to capsulize what I've been talking about in bottom line numbers. There's seven graphs that I look at regularly that have all ended in recession historically. We're talking back 50, 60 years on some, 120 to 150, even longer on some others. Leading economic indicators are down 17 consecutive months. That particular indicator has never been down more than 12 months in a row that has not followed a pretty solid recession, okay? We've also got the yield curve inverted. I talk about this all the time. That's almost always between six and 24 months. Right now, the yield curve inverted, meaning short-term interest rates pay more than long-term interest rates. That's happened since about June of last year. So we're about a year into this program where the yield curve is still still flipped. It's flipped on its head. Every time that happens, it means bad things, not just for the market, but bad things for the economy. We've never had a situation so far, at least I can read on this graph, that we lasted more than 24 months. And right now we're in about the 16th or 17th month of waiting. Some people say, well, the average is 11, so we passed that, so it must not be going to happen. No, 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 no. Average is 11 because sometimes they happen as early as six months and sometimes they happen as late as 24 months. We've still got, what, about eight months to go before we might buck the trend that's never been bucked so far. So eight months, that's almost three quarters ahead that we may see a recession. Okay, it might not happen this quarter. 
I still don't want to be in the market in case it does. I don't want to be in the market next quarter. I want to wait till this recession happens. There's a big sell-off, which we call capitulation in the market. And that's a great buying opportunity. Meantime, we're making 5% on short-term bombs. I mean, how good is that? We haven't been able to do that. I understand that we get a little nervous if we're not making interest on our money, but we're making 5%. In fact, we've been making 5% for almost, what, going on more than a year and a half now since we got out of the market. And the stock market, every index market-wise, over the last two years is still down. And it's about where it was when we got out. So instead of riding the roller coaster and being break even from, you know, between March and May of last year when we got out of the market and went to a fixed interest because we didn't want to play in dangerous zones, we don't run out on the freeway because there's cars on it, right? We don't want to play in dangerous in danger zones. We want to stay out of harm's way. In the meantime, we can make money. And most of our income plans, when we talk about income plans, we're basing them on like a four to six percent rate of return on our investment. So if we can make five on safe money, our plans are still working. Our plans are still intact. Quit having fear of missing out. Quit uh, worrying about uh, what we're not making. Here's the next graph I'm going to talk about. It's called Warren Buffett's indicators. It's equity prices versus real GDP. Equity prices are so overpriced and have gone up so much faster than GDP or gross domestic product. In other words, stock market valuations are way over exacerbated. I mean, they are so extreme that they've only been worse than this. Two, uh, they've only been almost as bad as it is right now, twice. One was right before the 2000 dot bomb bust, and the other was in 1929 uh, when the when the market busted in 29. Actually, it got pretty close there in the 60s when it was a little bit out of whack, and we had some recession uh, that came uh, to fruition pretty strong in the 70s, which is really the last time the markets and the economies have looked uh, similar to what they look like right now. So Warren Buffett scale says there's got to be a big correction. Warren Buffett is sitting on $147 billion worth of cash right now. That's how much stock he sold in the last uh, several, well, recent months wow. in order to raise cash so that he can buy in when the market crashes. He cannot sell everything in Berkshire Hathaway. Maybe he would have by now to rebuy at a lower price, but he's selling 8 and $10 billion at a time. $147 billion sitting in cash in Berkshire Hathaway, Warren Buffett. That's a lot of money. That's a big chunk of Berkshire Hathaway. So why is he doing that? Because he can, first of all, a mutual fund that is as big as Berkshire Hathaway cannot raise that much cash. In other words, they can't sell because they have to stay in stocks. Hedge fund managers, smart money, basically even market makers themselves, Warren Buffett included, those guys can sell more. And why are they selling more than even the typical mutual fund uh, can? Well, it's because the market needs to be stabilized. And that's why there's regulations that mutual funds can't blow out of more than 10% of whatever they're mutual fund is. So if they're a growth fund, they have to say 90% growth funds. They can't sell out. I think more smart money would be selling, but we know Warren Buffett is, and he's not a dumb guy. Then we've got the Schiller ratio, which is what we call the cyclically adjusted price earnings ratio. So basically every time the price earnings ratio currently is above X, the following 10 years has a average annualized rate of return of X or a range. Right now, we've just entered a range which has only been seen once between 1929 and now. We're right about where it was in 1929. Dot bomb era was weird because we had so many stocks that had zero earnings that it really skewed the price earnings ratio out of whack. But interestingly, in 2000, it was the highest ever. And the estimated, based on this ratio, the estimated return on the stock market for the next 10 years was somewhere between negative one and positive one, something in that range. Guess what it was? It was two. It was a zero. So we had like a two-year, you know, a two standard deviation estimate, two percentage points, yet we hit it exactly. Now, if you look at the actual historicals based on these projections, based on this ratio, it's amazingly how accurate it is. Right now, our price earnings ratio is so overvalued. We're at 30.8. If we're at 30 price earnings ratio, you're paying $30 for every dollar of earnings in a stock. Dividends are only like 3%. 
or less than that on uh, on S&P. We can get more than that on short-term bonds. That's another factor that means we're heading into recession. But there's only been one time that this has been higher. The Shiller ratio says that over the next several years, we should be between 0 and 2% max on earnings. 0 to 2% should be our average annualized rate of return in the stock market for the next 10 years. That means there's probably going to be some ups and some downs on a roller coaster ride in choppy markets, maybe a couple of corrections like the last decade. But I would not fight history and things that seem to be as accurate as a Schiller ratio looking forward. So I'd rather get 5% guaranteed or 6% guaranteed for the next 10 years than a probable 2% and a roller coaster ride in between, unless we can time the market a little bit. And we try to do that. We try to be out of the market when the cycles are bad, and we try to be in it when the cycles are good. And we could probably end up doing a little bit better if we have some hands-on management, and we've got managers that do that. And we've got indicators that'll tell us when to get out and when to get in, just like we did a year and a half ago. Here's one more. I mentioned earlier about the ownership of household equity. Mm-hmm. It is now 57%, which means dumb money. And I don't mean that to mean everybody who owns a stock is dumb. I just mean we're not inside the circles of Wall Street. We don't know the information that they know. We don't pay millions of dollars for economists to tell us what to do. I mean, I don't. I, I hire those people that, that do it. Bottom line is households have been suckered into buying more stock. That means it's 57 to 43 if you just figure institutions and pension funds and different things that kind of have to hang into stock, own stock. But they've tried to divest to the degree that 7% swing. And if you're looking at the trillions and trillions of dollars that's in the market, that is a huge swing. That means people that don't know as much as Wall Street own more stock than the people that know Wall Street. Why are they divesting? It's usually flipped. It's usually the other way around. We're, again, at just almost unprecedented heights. Um, I did mention I thought it was at an all-time high. It isn't. It just it it, it it's only been higher twice. So uh, we're still we're right knocking at the door of that all-time high of around sixty. Then one last thing, the helicopter money. It ran out in September. I mentioned that before. Remember all that stimulus money? When there's stimulus money, that we call that excess savings. That's when the money goes into the market because it has nothing better to do than go into the market. So people buy stocks because, you know, they're talked into it because Wall Street says they should, because they hear on the news that things are great. They hear about AI and they throw money at the market because, you know, bonds are only paying 2% or bonds are going down and CDs are only paying 2%. Well, now we've got a little bit better interest in fixed products, but all that helicopter money, M2 supply is gone. So we're back to break even. And I think all those things adding up mean that there's really no avoiding a correction that gets things back to equilibrium, which always happens in all these cycles. In fact, any one of these things could indicate recession, but we've got seven of them all at the same time within the next probably two or three quarters. If you look at smart money, Ray Dalio, Drucker, those guys that I've talked about before, uh, even Jamie Dimon, big wigs in the financial business. You know, some are looking at this quarter coming up and some are looking at the first or second quarter of next year. I think the consensus is probably eh, six months away. But I don't want to be in the market between now and then because uh, it could still get soft and stay choppy and cause a lot of gut aches between now and then. But I do want to get back in the market after all this stuff melts down, and there will come a time when it makes more sense. And we'll, we'll jump on it at that time. But we, we got to quit having this fear of missing out when there's so much evidence against us playing the market right now. Our program is called Premier Retirement. Of course, we're talking with Jeff Vogan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. If you'd like to get in and sit down with Jeff and talk about your individual situation and how the impending recession in the market applies to you and your journey towards retirement, is offering a no-cost, no-obligation Premier Retirement Roadmap. You can get yours by calling 520-780-9059, 520 520- 780-9059, no cost and no obligation. Again, just a friendly conversation between you and Jeff to get your questions answered and put you on a path towards a prosperous retirement. Once again, that number, 520-780-9059. You can also request it online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. 
Jeff, we're a little short on time in this segment, but I do want you to talk about the case of the week. So what was your case of the week this week? You know, it's, it's good we have a short period of time because it's really a short case. Um, and, and this isn't a new case. This is something that we get on a regular basis. But I had a couple come in that was just, they're tired of losing money. And they're just uh, seeing their money run out. They're in their, uh, she's in the mid, he's in the late 70s. They retired in their early 60s with about $2.5 million, right, in the range of the 2008 crash. And uh, had dealt with a, a broker that had got them to the couple million dollars. They'd been really good savers. They'd invested along the way and did uh, pretty well you know, dollar cost averaging into the market, even though the market had just finished a decade of, of pretty much flat, they had made some money and really happy with their broker. The broker ended up retiring, his son now took over. And of course, since the broker got them there, they thought they might just as well leave it there and, and, and ride it out. Well, you know, they started losing money and it was always the same thing coming back. Oh, it, it's okay. You know, the market always comes back. You're okay. But now they're spending money and they've never spent more than about 50,000 a year out of a two over $2 million in assets, which is like a two, two and a half percent rate of uh, uh, withdrawal. And they come into me and they've got under $900,000 left and they're getting worried. I don't blame them for getting worried. How in the world did you stay in there in this game? Well, he kept saying, you know, but over the long haul, it comes back and it's going to average the most and you should just hang in there. And he says, well, I'm seeing the writing on the wall. I'm only 15 years into retirement. I've already spent over half of my money. I don't have the staying power, even with earnings, to go another 15, even at 50,000, do I? I said, well, maybe you do if you don't lose any money, but if you lose money, yeah, you could be done in 15 or 20 years. I said, well, so what do you wanna do? You wanna stop the bleeding and make some money and get some guaranteed income? I mean, we can still put a, a chunk of that 900,000 into some things that guarantee you the 45 or 50 that you need and still have two or $300,000 that you could play with. Now, if we would've gone back to when he started retiring, we would have put a million dollars into something that gave them guaranteed income at that point, paid them the sixty or $70,000 that they need, and they wouldn't have had to touch the other million and a half. And they'd probably still have it, and then some, because it would have continued to grow through thick and thin, ups and downs, and everything else. So they'd probably still be worth two and a half or three million had they just solidified their plan for income in the beginning. So now we're having to kind of redo it. We're having to use up almost all their money to create the income guarantees that they need have a few hundred thousand dollars left, which is a better plan than leaving it at risk and into the volatility of the market. So, but now they call it, they said, well, I think we owe our guy a call. He's been such a nice guy. We've had him and his dad for almost 40 years now. And, uh, you know, we, we want to just make sure that he's okay with us leaving. I go, wait a minute. You got to make sure if he's okay with you leaving. Basically, you've spent about, I don't know, seven or $800,000, but you've gone down twice that in actual value because you've missed the boat on the volatility issue. And your money has been squandered, basically, based on market risk. The market doesn't care about you losing their money. They just like getting the fees, and they always say the same stuff. Oh, it'll come back. It'll come back. It doesn't work the same on an income plan. I hope these guys have understood this. This just happened a few days ago. So, you know, they're going to talk to their broker, and, you know, hopefully they'll see the light and treat it like their money, uh, treat it like it's their money and that they want to preserve it because we have a plan. The broker doesn't. It's just all portfolio management, park and hold. They never make changes. They never get in or out of the market. They just park it in a whole bunch of stuff. And hope it works out. I mean, the hold and hope method does not work in retirement. And so I think sometimes your own worst enemy is loyalty, friendship, or just I like my broker. You've got to like your own longevity, your own money, and the fact that it needs to serve you. Your money needs to serve you. You don't need to have your money serve your broker or the Wall Street market. It needs to serve you and it needs to serve you to the end. So don't make stupid decisions just because you like somebody more than you like your money. Or you ought to start liking your own money and your own longevity and your own ability and financial security more than, I guess, the friendship with these brokers that you trust. And bless their hearts, they got you there. That's great. Well, it's time to get off the bus and get onto a boat and sail off into your, you know, your, your sunset. It's a different vehicle that gets you through retirement than gets you to retirement. You know, keep that in mind. That's kind of a repeating phenomenon we're seeing mostly lately is too many people are still losing money. They're tired of it. 
but they're sticking with the same plan that got them there and it doesn't get them through retirement, not in the income phase. Once again, if you would like to talk to Jeff about your individual situation, call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. You can also request your Premier Retirement Roadmap online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Time for a break, Jeff. When we come back, we've got listener questions and more when Premier Retirement continues here on 790 KNST, Tucson's most stimulating talk. You can't start a trip you've never taken without a plan. And you can't start your retirement journey without a comprehensive plan to get there safely. To request your no-cost Premier Retirement Roadmap, call 580-780-9059 or request it online at premret.com. Now back to more Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan and Jeff Shea. Welcome back to Premier Retirement with Jeff Ogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, if you have questions about anything that we've spoken about on the show today, you'd like to get in and talk to Jeff about your individual retirement journey and get your no-cost, no-obligation retirement roadmap. Once again, that number, 520-780-9059, and of course online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. And don't forget, we are also a podcast if you want to hear the show over again just go to wherever you get your podcast search for jeff ogan premier retirement you'll find this show and all of our past shows so that you can stay on top of your wealth and your journey towards retirement in this section of the show of course we always do listener questions this week we're going to start it with gerald who's listening to us in tucson and gerald says i'm 65 and still working i want to retire at 67 I have a 401k at work with 82% in stocks and the rest in mutual funds. The stocks are doing just okay now, but it's been a roller coaster ride in the past. I'm wondering if I should be thinking about moving some of those more volatile stocks into bonds. What's your opinion? I uh, do agree that uh, the stocks aren't doing as well as they have in the past. I also, just based on uh, the last segment where I talked about the case of the week, you're in a position where you could take money off the table, the amount that you've saved for retirement and not take a chance on losing a chunk of it or even 50% of it, like the last two market crashes and uh, having that take five to seven years to get back to even. I mean, unless you want to work to 70 or 72 to wait till it gets back to even so your plan works. And I don't know how much you're going to rely on the 401k, but I will tell you, volatility in this ride in the roller coaster ride out will eat up your assets faster than something with principal guarantees. Bonds, as we've just learned, do not have principal guarantees. I do think bonds do have a chance of going up, interest rates going up a little bit more, which means bonds will go down in value, which means you're locking in losses. Or, um, you know, you can wait till the bonds peak if you can time it right. And then as they go down, if they do kind of retract a little bit, retrace some of their interest rates, then the bond values actually do go up a little bit. And, you know, we look at those uh, from a macro level and we do get into bond indexes and bond markets when the bond market looks a little bit more healthy. For the last year and a half or two years, the bond market looks horrible. Actually, for about three years now, um, stock market for at least two years has looked horrible. So we don't know what the future holds. We kind of have an idea, but we do know that there's so many things pointing to a recession that I think it's a great time while the market's still relatively high. Yeah, not as high as it was you know, at its peak, Think about it. Since you're 65, think about putting some of that money, and I don't know how much it is, or again, how much you rely on it, but let's say you have a million dollars and you need to make at least $40,000 from your 401k to work, and the uh, stock market says, well, you need a 4% rule. As long as you don't take 4% out, then you're fine. Well, you could go along with that and end up being like the people that I just talked about a minute ago who had $2.5 million, only took 2.5%, but because of volatility, have used up more than half of their assets. So I don't like anything that's not principal guaranteed for that, and at your age, it might take six or seven hundred thousand dollars in principal protected accounts to guarantee you maybe forty or fifty thousand dollars 
you'd still have two or three hundred thousand dollars that you could leave alone, let it ride out the market in 20 or 30 years, have that be worth a million dollars, and you're still getting that 40 or 50 thousand dollars that you need extra to live on, plus whatever growth you can get out of your, say, risk based assets. But those would be dollars that you don't have to use. So I would, uh, you know, just look at your overall plan before I'd make any particular recommendations. I don't think bonds are the play today. Uh, unfortunately, bonds don't act opposite stocks like they used to. They used to be kind of considered a hedge. Uh, now they seem to be kind of in sync. If uh, bonds start going up in value, I think the stock market will go up in value too, because if bonds go up, that means interest rates are going down and that's usually a healthy sign for the stock market. So I think I wouldn't just be shifting in and out of bonds and stocks. I think they're both going to be weak for a while and I think they're going to get strong at the same time. So we would reallocate into both of those asset classes later with the amount that you can afford to have at risk. With the amount that you cannot afford to have at risk, I would take off the table, put it in something that's principal guaranteed, can still make you five or 10% over the the long haul, but never lose, never have a year worse than zero and guarantee you income for the rest of your life, even if the account doesn't perform. In other words, if these principal accounts don't perform and you've got an income guarantee on them and insurance companies are able to do that, then you don't have to worry about your income going down. Your social security is going to continue to click up as uh, you know, with inflation, your um, stock market investments can be used to offset any inflationary pressures. But here's what I found out is most people don't spend as much in their seventies and eighties than they do in their sixties anyway. So you really don't need a whole lot of uh, inflation protection from the standpoint of a whole lot of extra liquidity and income 20 years from now, as much as maybe, you know, some people would say, I believe that uh, you're in your go-go years, you probably want to use a little bit more front end. So figure out what that need is, add ten or $15,000 to it for fun or 20 or 30, whatever it is, you know, go into retirement with some predictability and some uh, peace of mind. Gerald, thanks for that question. Of course, we'll be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead, and we appreciate you listening to us in Tucson. Next question, Jeff, is Stacy in Reed Ranch. And Stacy writes, we're truly fortunate to have a lifetime inflation-adjusted federal pension and Social Security of $200,000 annually. We're a 65-year-old man and a 61-year-old woman. Our income is roughly breaking out to be $125,000 and $75,000, respectively. We did not take advantage of spousal survivor benefits when we retired years ago, which seemed like a good idea at the time. So our plan was always to self-insure our long-term care and spousal survivor needs. We'd like some help with how to plan for the future future. Our main question is, how much should we set aside, if anything, for long-term care? In looking at long-term care policies in the past, the maximum payout was around $360,000. We thought that was the right amount to target. We have a life insurance policy for the 65-year-old of around $300,000 through 2036. Should we look for additional life insurance, or is it reasonable to depend on the nest egg that I've talked about here to cover the cost of the lower retirement income spouse since she's not eligible for any Social Security benefits? What do you think? Well, I think that you're, you've done really well to be in the right kind of job to pay you that uh, guaranteed income. Your pensions and Social Security are pretty, uh, you, know, you can count on those uh, uh, retirement income streams as well as any. So good for you for being in that position. But if you do have money to set aside for long-term care, I would consider a LERP, um, life insurance retirement plan. The one that expires in 2036 might uh, not be there when you need it, but some of these plans, you can stuff it with cash. And maybe if you can uh, do kind of an accelerator, I don't know what your savings are or uh, investments, but uh, you might want to consider putting maybe 50,000 a year for you know five or 10 years into an account that is tax-free, gross tax-free. And if you ever need it for long-term care, it's there. The thing is, is if you die, it still grows and it still goes to your heirs tax-free. It would also uh, suffice to replace the income should you die. And I would say that um, 
you know, if your husband dies early and you don't have, can't remember which one of you doesn't qualify for the other's social security, but whoever needs that income replacement, that LERP would also, life insurance retirement plan would also allow that cash value to be used by the surviving spouse on a tax-free basis. So you could kill all the birds with one plan by using one of my favorite tools, and that is the LERP, life insurance retirement plans. Uh, You're still young enough to uh, have it be very efficient. And we're not trying to buy a ton of death benefit here. We're not paying a lot of money for insurance. We're paying very small amount for insurance, but we're using it as a nice little savings nest egg to be used for that purpose when the time comes. And I think you're on the right track thinking of it. Yeah, you probably should self-insure. You can do that very easily by taking money out of either earnings or an account that you've already saved and paid taxes on, or one that you maybe haven't paid taxes on, but want to just take care of the tax, you know, tax problem right now, get over it and fund this LERP that you never have to pay tax on again. You can uh, borrow from it uh, against your death benefit even while you're alive if you need extra money to take trips and it doesn't push you into a new tax bracket for emergencies and it doesn't push you into a new tax bracket like taking extra money out of an IRA or something else would. So it's a very efficient tax plan. It'll cover you for long-term care. It'll cover you for terminal illness and any other expenses along the way and especially that one that you mentioned, uh, spousal maintenance if one of you should die early. Stacy, thanks for that question. We appreciate you listening to us in Rita Ranch and of course your book is on the way. Final question this week, Jeff, is is Rob in Oro Valley, and Rob says, I plan to retire from my job in 18 months at my full retirement age of 66 in eight months. I will, however, continue to work past that, but as a self-employed contractor. I'm wondering if it makes sense to delay taking Social Security till age 70 since I won't be needing the money, or should I just go ahead and take it and invest with it? Well, it kind of depends on how much you expect to earn. I don't want you to take that extra Social Security if it's going to keep you in a higher tax bracket and it would be a lower tax bracket later. It also depends on what other assets you have. It might be smart to uh, wait on Social Security just in order to do some tax planning and maybe convert some of your IRA or 401k money from your prior jobs to Roths or to LERPs or something where you get tax-free income later. It also might be smart if you think the trust fund's going to be depleted like even Social Security says it will be in 2033, and there'll be less money coming in than they need to go out. If there is a future adjustment, it might be smart in retrospect that you took your money out and reinvested it. At least you had your money. So there are two trains of thought. One is if it's not going to kick you into a higher tax bracket that you're going to be in right now compared to when you retire, I think taking it early is not a bad thing because you can invest it and you actually have that money to live on or supplement future um, retirement needs as uh, they're needed. You can't just ask, uh, if you need a little extra from Social Security, you can't just ask them for a, a raise or a loan against your future income. If you take three or four years out, you know, even two or three years out earlier than you need it and that money's invested, that might be an extra 100000 or so that you can always dip into should you need it. Of course, that all depends on what your other saving situation is, how much you plan to make as an independent contractor, what your tax bracket's going to be, whether you have a spouse or not. But I think you're on the right track thinking the right questions. And I think, as my book says, it's really more about asking the right questions is really the only way to get all the right answers. So you asked a good question. Now we have to uh, dig a little bit deeper to find out all the uh, things that make that question relevant and how to fix it the best way possible. But I think you're on the right track asking it in the right ways and uh, you have the right considerations in mind. Rob, again, we appreciate you listening to us in Oro Valley. And of course, your book, that is Retirement the Road Ahead, is on its way to you. 
And if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air, you can do that by getting it to us at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. If we use it on the air, of course, we will be sending you out Jeff's book, Retirement, The Road Ahead. You're listening to Premier Retirement with Jeff Hogan, founder and president of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, if you'd like to sit down with Jeff, talk about your individual retirement journey and get his retirement roadmap, call 520-780-9059. It's 520-780-9059. And once again, there's no cost and there is no obligation for this consultation. Just a friendly talk between you and Jeff to really uncover what is keeping you from getting to the retirement that you want, you need, and that you deserve. Again, no cost and no obligation for that. You can request it, 520-780-9059. You're online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Jeff, I want to talk about uh, investing with cash. It may not always be a good investment option. And I guess related to lower returns, some investors contemplate shifting their long-term investments to cash because they worry about the imminent market decline due to, due to macro events. And we're talking about wars and recessions. So is there any really fundamental reason why these days that you should not invest in cash, even when we consider the fact that, you know, with cash and cash equivalents, we could still get over 5% returns? Well, you know, times have kind of changed where it wasn't that you could make any money on cash. So I think if you're trying to time the market and you're going into a zero interest environment, then you're going to probably end up being a loser. Dalbar says that, uh, you know, a study not too long ago says that the people that try to time the market typically underperform by about one or one and a half percent, something like that. But it's not significant, but it is enough to over time to be a difference. But if you're making 5% in short-term interest uh, on your government bonds or 4%, even in a CD, you're offsetting that uh, what if number during that period of time. You also have to remember that we're talking macro events. Now we're not timing the market like on a daily basis or trying to you know buy on dips and things. There are certain times when there is just too much risk in the market. And of course, our goal is first not to lose money. If you're trying to accumulate money, timing the market is a death wish because you're not dollar cost averaging in, you're gonna miss you're probably not going to time it right on the growth aspect of it. However, if you're out of risk and you're taking money out, the worst you can do is take interest, maybe a little bit of principal, but you're not ever locking in a loss on that principal because the market's not down. So the way we deal with that is not necessarily invest in cash, but we have a lot of investments that are as safe as cash in indexed annuities and things that, and even LERPs that are indexed to the market so that if the markets go up, those products kind of time the market for us. And the thing is, is it protects us against loss when the market's doing its thing. So there's a built-in mechanism to time the market and reset either every year. Some uh, actually rotate into different sectors of the market on a daily or a monthly basis. So there are some really creative ways that insurance companies have learned to get market-associated rates of return, not necessarily correlated to the ups and the downs, but only correlated to the ups in the market with none of the downs. So if we have a big chunk, let's just say 50, 60, 70% even, in principal guaranteed accounts that support your income needs, then you have to really worry about, you know, what about timing the market? You know, with the other money, we can either ride it out and wait. You know, we like to, uh, you know, make our losses minimized, even on our risk money. We like to do that too. So if, if we're diversified between no risk money and risk money, we don't necessarily always have to take you know, the approach of long-term gains and just hold and hope and on the risk money either. There are macroeconomic events and things that we're seeing right now that would indicate it's too dangerous. Let's at least preserve that. If our money's making 5% or 4% or even 3% in something as safe as cash, 
while the market's doing its gyrations up and down and doing its thing, and the index annuities aren't doing anything because the indexes aren't doing anything, at least we're making some money on some of our money. And if I'm wrong, and let's say we're making 3 or 4% on the risk money, and the market goes up 20%, and our index annuities go up 10 or 12, well, that's great. Our safe money, which index annuities and LERPs talk about the safety of the principal protection is essentially as safe as cash, then we make money on that. So either way, we're making money. It just creates a situation where we don't have to be 100% right We just have to never be wrong as far as the downturn in the market or be very minimal on the downside. So right now, when the market's risky, we want to minimize risks. I mean, so let's minimize risk by being doing the smart thing. So I do think that there is a time to invest in the market, not with all of your money. I mean, if you're still in the accumulation phase, you know, that argument holds, holds true. If you're in the predictable income and I can't afford to lose money phase, making 5% on Cash is pretty darn good, in my opinion. We haven't seen that in years. Let's take advantage of that while we wait out what looks to be an imminent recession of some magnitude. And uh, when that happens, usually there's a sell-off. When the sell-off, when the when the recession is in full bloom and nobody wants to touch the market, that's really our entry point. You know, we want to be contrarian in that case. Right now, everybody seems to want to buy the market even though it's overpriced. That's the time when you want to get out. You don't want to go with the uh, masses. You want to go with it. You got to want to be a little counterintuitive when you get in and out of the market. And that's what we've uh, probably done. And I I know that some people are questioning our uh, rationale or reasons for doing it. But I just named about 10 or 15 of them earlier in the program from a a generic standpoint and to a supported by graphs, trends and history that suggest we're in a dangerous place and we ought not to be fully invested right now. So, Jeff, if I'm hearing you correctly, there are times when, when cash is definitely king. Well, yeah, it is. You know, when the, when it doesn't make sense, when things are overvalued, overpriced, and when the market doesn't have a very good outlook to make more than what we can make in cash, you want to make money in the, the thing that looks like uh, it's got the best opportunity. For the last decade, cash was paying like zero or less if you look at the inflation factor. And the market was doing great. It was a lot more important to be exposed to the market, whether it be through the indexing products we use that are principal protected, or whether it be having some money in the market over the last decade, we've done well. But it's time to take those profits off the table because you could lose a big chunk of them, maybe even half of them. Maybe all of the profits that you made over, maybe you've doubled your money in the last six years and, you know, market goes down half. You just basically gave away six years of profits and it might take you five or six to get them back again. So, you know, again, it's more from a macroeconomic level. We're not doing day trading. We're not trying to get into cash and get out of cash on a, you know, month to month basis or day to day basis or even a year to year basis, maybe a year to year, maybe a couple of years. You know, cycles, like I said, cycles complete. They have a history. We can look at history and you don't have to really be a history buff because everything is pretty much on graph. You can just look at it and go like, oh, wow, this is the history. Let's look at what happens during times like like the ones we're in. What generally happens? Hmm, it's got a 100% hit rate over the last 50 or 100 years. If history is, well, it's got about a 50-50 chance of uh, playing out like this is what history shows. Well, then, you know, make your best gut check uh, investment decision regardless of that. You should not have money in the market you can't afford to lose because we never know when the corrections are going to take. We never know what other forces are going to influence the market. It could be the war in Israel. It could be expanding to other Middle Eastern countries. It could expand into a world war. Who knows? There's a lot of things that could happen that could affect markets then turn on a dime. You know, we don't want to be caught without, uh, you know, just, you know, with too much risk out there if that happens, especially when we don't have a job making a paycheck and we rely on our money to supply us with that paycheck that we used to earn from a job. Again, it just depends on what stage you're in, whether and to the extent that you use cash. I mean, there are some people that have enough saved up that if all they made was 3% cash, they could never run out of money based on their lifestyle, their needs, and the fact that they were really good savers. So if that's the case, 
you might not need to take any risk. But if that's the case, you might want to take some risk because you already have enough to live on and maybe you can swing for the fences and ride some out. Everybody's situation is different. Everybody's risk tolerance is different. Everybody has a different gut ache when different things happen at different levels of when things happen and so forth. So keep that all in mind. Everybody's a little bit different. And I guess like, like always, the answer is it depends you know, when you should be in cash and how much cash you should have and if it's even a relevant investment asset class for you. Our show is called Premier Retirement. We're talking with Jeff Logan of Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management here in Tucson and also up in Mesa. Once again, questions 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. Jeff, every week I talk about this retirement roadmap that people can get at no cost and no obligation. So I thought we would spend just a few minutes here for those people who are wondering what this retirement roadmap is all about. So when people call 520-780-9059, Shelly answers the phone, takes some basic information from them, and schedules a consultation with you. What is this retirement roadmap review going to consist of? Well, we'd just like to sit back and listen to your goals, listen to what you want to accomplish, listen and take a look at your assets. Then we reposition those assets to make sure that we're taking care of the five pillars of planning, which include your income plan. You know, how are you going to replace the income that you got from your job? Is it going to be all through Social Security and pensions or do you need to supplement with your 401k and savings? Yeah, then we make sure that those investments support that income plan. Are some of them principal guaranteed? Do they include predictable or guaranteed lifetime income for you and or your spouse? If uh, you have a tax problem or if you're in a tax bracket higher than the 12 or 15 bracket, we want to make sure that we don't go too far into the bracket because you'll be you know, chopping off somewhere between a fourth and a half of your assets and giving it to the government if you kick the can down the road and be, you know find yourself five or 10 years down the road into a really high tax bracket. It might be smarter to do some tax planning now move around some money, pay those taxes early and invest in things that are tax efficient. We want to make sure that it takes place. We want to make sure that there is some um, an asset base or something, whether it be personal income, whether it be savings to take care of those long-term care and those health expenses that are unforeseen. And then if you have an, a legacy plan, we want to make sure we address that. Do you want to give all your money to charity? Do you, want, do you have kids? Do you not have kids, but like your nephews and brothers and sisters, whatever, we want to make sure that your assets go to who you want, how you want with the least amount of trouble, tax, avoiding probate and other things. So Again, it's the, it goes back to the five pillars of planning. We're going to address each one of those. I put everything on a big spreadsheet so you can see your life from now till the, you're about 100 years old with predictable assumptions, very conservative assumptions as far as earnings go. With the invention of principal protected products and not losing money, some give guaranteed rates of return that we can predict and count on, and some give predictable income that we can count on regardless of the performance of the asset. Again, it's a pretty comprehensive look at your overall situation. It's not just a portfolio management situation where I've had people come in and say, well, you know, I've been to six different guys and, you know, I'm only making 4% on my portfolio. They think I can make six over here and they think I can make seven over there and they guaranteed me eight over here. Uh, what can you do for me? I'm not doing a, let's just play a guessing game and project a higher rate of return from all these other guys that are just, you know, blowing smoke up your dress anyway, you know, telling you things that can't be guaranteed or predicted. Or do you want a comprehensive plan where you can see the whole thing on, on a picture and how you're going to use the money, when you're going to use the money, how much of it gives you a predictable guaranteed income and how much of it's uh, holding hope. And when you see the whole thing laid out on a picture, I think the value add that we give with this Premier Retirement Roadmap is a huge value add. And considering that you're paying a fee for portfolio management where all they do is park and hold and do nothing compared to somebody that actually does a plan for you, saves you taxes, and actually through better management and through you know more comprehensive planning might actually save you or make you more than enough to cover those fees or at least give you the peace of mind that you know 
know those fees are going to something more than just a portfolio manager, something you could do yourself just by going and buying some index funds, then you find you might like it here. You might have a nice match and you might want to jump aboard and get on our boat and sail off into the sunset. We'll navigate around all those obstacles that we've navigated around before and help you feel safe and sound and uh, enjoy your retirement. So once again, this five-point retirement review consists of an income plan, investments to support your income plan, a tax plan, a health care plan, and an estate plan. And once again, you can get this retirement roadmap absolutely at no cost and no obligation. If you'd like yours, call 520-780-9059, 520-780-9059. I think Shelly's got some spots open right now, but they are filling up quickly. So call sooner than later. You can also request your plan online at premret.com, P-R-E-M-R-E-T.com. Well, Jeff, I've enjoyed our conversation this week, but unfortunately, we're out of time. For Jeff Ogan, I'm Jeff Shade. Thank you so much for listening to us. Go out, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again next week with another edition of Premier Retirement right here on 790 KNST. Tucson's most stimulating talk. Investment advisory services provided through Premier Wealth Advisors, LLC, an Arizona state registered investment advisor. Securities transactions are placed through TD Ameritrade. Insurance and annuity products are offered through Premier Advantage, Inc., DBA Premier Retirement Planning and Wealth Management. Investing involves risk, including the potential loss of principal. Any reference to protection, safety, or lifetime income generally refer to fixed insurance products. Insurance guarantees are backed by the financial strength and claims paying abilities of the insurance carrier. The show is intended for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as advice or recommendations. Due to show format, accuracy, and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Premier Retirement and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice and may only conduct business with residents of states and jurisdictions where they're properly registered.